Welcome to All Nations Christian Fellowship. Here's Pastor Clayson. Okay, welcome. Welcome to All Nations Christian Fellowship. It's uh, awesome to be here with you again. And thank you for being here and helping us to become a caring and equipping church to influence the greater Vancouver area of God's love. This is our dream. This is our vision. This is the place where we believe God wants us to be. And today is a special day because we are uh, beginning a new series of messages, which is uh, in one of the books of the New Testament. Last week, I think you remember, we just finished the book of Daniel. So it was a series on the books, one of the books of the Old Testament. And now we jumped to the New Testament because uh, those two books, they are related to the vision, to the mission, our values, and also the strategy that we're going to use here at All Nations. So today we will begin a series of studies of messages in the book of Hebrews. So please open your Bible uh, on the epistle to the Hebrews. And uh, it's very important for us to, 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 to read and to study this book. And I, I really believe that we will all be uh, really blessed by what we're going we're gonna to see by what God is going to show us through this book. So I think the first thing that I should say is that people think that Hebrews was written only for theologians and scholars because they think it is a difficult book. Well, that's not true. We will see that the book is perfect for the specific and challenging and exciting time that we are living here at All Nations Christian Fellowship as a community, as a church, as a family but also for you in your individual uh, and in your daily life as a disciple of Jesus. Because we will be shepherded by God through this book. When difficult passages show up, we'll learn them together, and this will make a huge difference in our journey. Why? Well, because Hebrews helps us focus on Jesus, who he is, and what he has done. There's a scholar who says something about this book, and I think it's wonderful. He says, when church becomes stupid rather than transforming, it's time to turn to Hebrews with a fresh eye and an open heart. End of quote. Well, Hebrews is about disciple of Jesus maturing in the faith, growing up and acting like adults on a battleground, not like children on a playground. Yes, I know, Hebrews may not always be uh, easy or comfortable reading, but you know, it was not reading to make us comfortable. The book was written to make us conformable to Jesus, who is the Christ. You see, uh, we know that all of us here want to become better disciples. I know that. I know you. I know your struggles. I know you are fighting the good fight. And I appreciate that. But we also know that maturing in the life with Jesus has never, never, never been easy. Any more than maturing physical, intellectual, and emotional lives is easy. But I'm pretty sure that if we come together to this book as a congregation with the same dream, with the same vision, with a grateful heart, wanting to learn of what it means to be like Jesus, we will thrive on the encouragement of this book shares with us. 
So let's, let's get to the book. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. And the Word of God says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom also He made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful word. After He had provided purification for sins, He had sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, so He became as much superior to the angels as the name He has inherited is superior to death. Theirs. Let's pray. Dear Almighty God, this is your word. We need your help. Come and bless us. Come and give us wisdom and understanding about everything that it is in these four initial verses of the book of Hebrews. We need your help for that. Bless our church. In the name of Jesus, amen. I want to give you some uh, brief but important information about the book before we go into this passage specifically. About the author, the writer of the book of Hebrew, he does not identify himself, but he is uh, well known by his recipients. We can see that. From the 4th century to about 16th century, this book was known as the Epistle of Paul to the Hebrews. But then since Reformation is widely recognized that Paul could not have been writer, not, not because of any disharmony, theological disharmony, but just specific emphasis and writing styles are different. Uh, Apollos is another candidate. Uh, Luther... The reformer, the famous reformer of the 16th century, uh, had this understanding about Apollos, and it still, still today, favored many, many interpreters. But one thing is evident: the author was a, a master in Greek language of his day, thoroughly acquainted to the Septuagint, which was which was the translation from the Old Testament of the Old Testament from the Hebrew to Greek, which he quotes a lot. Well, the date, the book of Hebrews must have been written before the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. Why? Because if after, the book would have mentioned the destruction of the temple and the end of sacrificial system, which are very, very dear and important for his arguments. The book uses the present tense every time he speaks about the temple and the priestly act activity. So that's why we think that it was written before 70 AD. Uh, regarding the recipients, it addressed primarily Jewish converts, people familiar with the Old Testament, people who were being tempted to revert to Judaism or change the gospel in a, in a more Jewish way. And the main theme is uh, absolute, the absolute supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus as the revealer, as the mediator of God's grace. These are the four main aspects of the introduction of the book. The book helps us to understand Jesus. 
in a, in a very clear way. Jesus ascended to heaven 40 days after his resurrection. Jesus was enthroned at the right hand of the Father. Ten days later, at the days of the Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came upon church to equip and empower the disciples for their journey and, and, and witness and work on earth until Jesus returns. So the book of Hebrews was reading to explain who Jesus is, where he is, and what he is doing today. That's a very important word, actually, today. Because people tend to think that Jesus is in heaven, praying for the world so that lost sinners might be saved. But you know what? That's the one thing Jesus said he would not be doing. And, and I'm saying this not because it is systematic theology. No, this is information from the Bible. Jesus prayed for lost sinners as he hung on a cross, as we see in, in the Gospel of Luke, when Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. But in the Gospel of John, chapter 17, we say that uh, Jesus said, I am not praying for the world, Father, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. So the first thing is that if you are a disciple of Jesus and you think that nobody on earth is praying for you, you can be sure that the Son of God in heavens is interceding for you. Great. But there's another important information here about the book. The book begins like a theological essay. It goes on like a sermon. It ends like a letter. But the writer calls it Paraclesios. There is a word of uh, exhortation or a word of uh, encouragement. But one thing is right. He sounds like a preacher. He uses we, he uses us many times. And through his powerful encouragement to faithfulness, he lovingly warns us to keep uh, from turning back to the old life. He ask, actually asked us not to go back, but to go in, to go on, to go up and to go out. Because if we trust God, the same word that save, uh, saved us will also strengthen us and sustain us. Hebrews is a book that can make conquerors out of quitters and winners out of potential losers. So specific about our text today, the first four verses, we are hit at once with four important affirmations about Jesus, extremely relevant to our relationship with God as individuals, but also to our relationship with God as a church, as all nation church here. So the first affirmation is this, God speaks to us through Jesus. See again verse 2, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Well, Jesus is speaking and that's wonderful. That's, that's great. Now, that God would speak at all to sinful people like you and me is certainly an act of grace. And that he would send his only son, his beloved son, to do the speaking is even more astounding. In the past, 
God had spoken in various ways and at different times, but Jesus came as God's last word, says John in his gospel. Or, last of all, he sent his son to them, said Matthew in his gospel. So this word from God is powerful because it brought the universe into being. And that's why Paul called it the word of life or the word of his grace or even uh, the word of Christ that generates saving faith in our hearts. And that's that's amazing word. Now, God spoke to his prophets in the Old Testament, to his apostles in the New Testament, and through the Bible, God is still speaking to you, to his people through his Son. If your heart is truly prepared, each time you open the Bible and pray, God will open his mouth and speak to your mind and heart. Because let me tell you something, and please uh, listen to this carefully. The way you treat the written word of God is the way you treat the living word of God, who is Jesus Christ. The emphasis in the, the book of Hebrew is on speaking and hearing, not on seeing. The nation of Israel heard God speak at Sinai, but did not see any form of God, and they were warned not to make idols or images. Now, why is it so relevant for us today? Well, because we are living in a day that emphasizes the visual. And, in some ways, I like that. I think this is important. But the problem is that our days are... We, we emphasize the visual and minimizes the spoken word. So we have to see if you want to be transformed. We have to see if you want to be informed. But you see, the, whole, the Spirit of God can speak to our hearts as we read and as we study His Word. Every time we read the Bible, every time we hear a sermon, every time we sing some songs, the Holy Spirit doesn't need our clever gimmicks to get the point across. And that's why this is a very first important information. God speaks to us through Jesus. But then the second affirmation is God holds everything together through Jesus. Verse 3 says uh, that Jesus not only created all things through his word, but he constantly sustains everything he has created. And the, the Greek word he's sustaining, Pharaoh, conveys actually three wonderful truths. First, Jesus is holding everything up so it won't fail, it won't fall. Second, Jesus is holding everything together so it won't fall apart. And three, Jesus is carrying creation along to a predetermined goal. I remember last year I was in, in, in one of the lectures in, in Oxford for my doctoral studies. Because I, I like to go to many different lectures in many different fields of study. And, uh, and some scientists in Oxford, they were saying that they know now, we know a lot about atoms and subatomic particles. But they cannot explain what holds it all together. So, we know about atoms, but we know about subatomic particles, but we cannot explain what holds it all together. And it's interesting that in Colossians chapter 1, Paul, Paul says, 
Jesus is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Can you believe that? The guys are from Oxford, and they can understand that. Now, if Jesus is able to hold up the universe and hold it together, cannot he also keep our lives from falling down or falling apart? If Jesus is able to hold up the universe and hold it together, cannot he carry us along to fulfill God's purposes for us? Of course he can. For we are God's workmanship, according to Paul, to the church in Ephesus. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. It's a responsibility, I know, but it's also an encouragement. A wonderful encouragement. And if the first affirmation is that God speaks to us through Jesus... And the second affirmation is that God holds everything together through Jesus. Then the third affirmation is that God reigns over the whole creation through Jesus. You see, still verse 3 says, After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Okay. Verse 3 says that Jesus is sitting. And now you might think, okay, uh, he is sitting. But why, why is this important? This doesn't sound like much of a ministry, right? For almost everybody, uh, well, can sit. Yeah, but consider where he is sitting and why he is there. He is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. It's the place of honor. It's the place of power. It's the place of authority. Why? Because he has finished his work. You see, there were no chairs in the Jewish tabernacle or in the Jewish temple in Jerusalem because the priest's work was never completed. The blood of animal sacrifices offered day after day and year after year could never wash away sins. But the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sins. From all sins, says John in his first epistle. So Jesus is seated today on a, on a glorious throne of sovereign power and authority because he has defeated every enemy there is nothing more that he must do to save lost sinners or to encourage struggling believers or to enable us as dedicated pilgrims on our on our faith journey he will carry us through he is sitting on the throne because he has everything under control and this actually these first 3 affirmation about Jesus they bring us to the fourth point to the fourth affirmation which is God shows himself in Jesus some people say that Victoria looks like me and uh, some my family and some people some relatives, they, 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 they send me a message, they write me emails. Every time they see a picture of Victoria on Facebook, and they, they try to compare my, one of my pictures, of many of my pictures, with Victoria's pictures today, just to try to convince me that 
Victoria is really a chip off the old block. So uh, look at her and you see yourself. They, they, they say me, my, they, they tell me my character or some aspects of it at least is shining out of her. Well, this is a cheerful and of course low grade example of the sublime point which Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, speaks about God and his only son. When it says, the radiance of, of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. Actually, the book is saying, look at Jesus, and you will look at God himself. And actually, the word uh, exact representation here is the Greek character, as the Greek word character. Actually, we could have used this, this, this word character in Greek, uh, but the translation, English translation is exact representation. Think about the character of an alphabet, for instance, Greek alphabet or Hebrew alphabet or Japanese alphabet. In the ancient world, people used to engrave hot metal with a pattern which the metal will then continue to bear. They didn't have printing presses, remember that, but they used engraving for coins. Uh, emperors, for, for instance, they would employ an engraver who carved the royal portrait and words or abbreviations on a stamp made of hard metal. The engraver used the stamp to make a coin the exact impression. So the word character means the accurate impression left by stamp on coin. Now, from there, the word character came to mean uh, 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 mainly two things. First, the individual letters of a language, again, Japanese uh, alphabet, or the character of a person or a thing, the sort or type of person. And this is what we have here in the book of Hebrew. The exact imprint of the Father's very nature has been precisely reproduced in the soft metal of Jesus' human nature. Now it is there for all the world to see. Without this technique in the ancient times, the emperors would only be able to send out drawings or, or sketches to tell people about them, but wouldn't give people the full picture, right? And this is exactly what happened in the Old Testament with prophets. God had for a long time been sending advanced sketches of himself, but now with Jesus, he has given us his exact portrait. The book of Hebrews, Hebrews tells us that the whole sweep of biblical history gets to a climax in Jesus. You see, these opening verses are not rhetorical flourish. They, they, tells us, they tells us how the argument of the whole book is going to turn. He always starts with, with a passage from the Old Testament to show something that points to Jesus. Jesus is God's unique son. Jesus as the one who has dealt with sins fully and finally. Jesus as the one who now rules at God's right hand. Jesus as the one to whom even angels bow in submission. And like all the early disciples, the writer begins saying that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is Israel through true king and everything else falls from that so though we don't know who the author the writer of this letter was we know something even more important about him 
right from the start, he has his eyes fixed on Jesus. And interesting enough, at the end of the letter, when he draws everything together, he urges us to have our eyes fixed on Jesus too. So this is going to be our challenge. Now, are you ready for this challenge? Well, I hope so, because this will be an exciting journey for all of us. Let's pray. Dear Almighty God, thank you for your Bible. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the book of Hebrews. We will learn a lot with all the information from this book. But also, we want to learn a lot with all the wisdom and discernment that your Holy Spirit will give us through the reading and study of this book. So please, come and bless us and help us throughout this journey in name of our wonderful God, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. God bless you.